Job chapter 1. All right, starting in verse number 1, we'll read down to verse number 3, and then we'll, we'll look at verse number 6. All right, there was a man in the land of Uz, uh, and there's always weird names in the Bible for places. I don't know why people called this land Uz, but it's called Uz, uh, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. He had ten kids. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, and, and you, you could tell how wealthy a person was by how much livestock, how many camels, how much, how, much, uh, how, how much animal, how many animals they had. And so he was a very rich guy. His substance was 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. That's a lot of wool. Uh, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And quite frankly, if he was to live today, that's still a lot of stuff. Now jump down to verse number six. Now, knowing who Job was, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So now we have this, we have this, this heavenly conversation, this cosmic conversation between God and Satan. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Where, 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 do you, where do you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and, and said, from, growing, from going to and fro in the earth, going everywhere in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered, have you looked at, have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect, uh, perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and one that escheweth, one that hateth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? He fears you. Does he fear you for nothing? You've made an hedge about him and about his house. You've protected him, basically is what he's saying, and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. He's saying, you, you, of, course God, of course Job worships you. You've made his life perfect. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, touch all that he hath, and he will curse, curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. So he's basically saying, I'm moving my hedge away from him. I'm moving my protection away from him. You can have free reign on him only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters, Job's sons and his daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding, the, 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 uh, the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them, they were uh, an enemy group, fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. They killed everybody, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, while that servant was yet speaking, and there came also another and said, the Chaldeans, also an enemy group, made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, uh, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while that servant was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold... There came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his clothes, his mantle, and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. 
<clears throat> okay, so crazy story, right? If you know the story, this is a crazy story. We're going to get into that. First, got to ask you a question that has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning. And that question is, have you ever seen an Etch-A-Sketch before? Okay, you guys have seen Etch-A-Sketch. Finally, we're all on the same page. You guys have seen Etch-A-Sketch before. I love Etch-A-Sketches, except for one thing. They're really, really hard. Whenever I mess around with them, I just make... Uh, really, really bad drawings. And, and the reason why is because you have the two little knobs. You guys know what I'm talking about. I think I have a picture. Yeah, you have the two little knobs. And uh, this is an amazing picture. Even that's kind of ugly. But I would make something that's just horrible, unrecognizable. You have the two little knobs. And you can move the little dials around, the little knobs around. And uh, you, can only go, you can only go in straight lines, right? Or if you press them both together, you kind of got a diagonal line. But it's really, really hard. And here's the reason why. It's because you, you can't undo it. You can't erase it. You can't go backwards on an Etch-A-Sketch. And so what you have here, it's, it's like you can work around the problem. If, you're, if you have a problem or if you, you made a mistake, you can kind of work around it. You can work it into the picture, but you can't, you can't erase it. Once, you're, once, you've, once you've made that line, you can't erase it. It's done. You can't, you can't, there's no undo. There's no redo. There's no mulligan. There's no backwards. You, what you do if you have a problem, you have to work through it. That's a lot like life, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. The problems in our life, you can't erase them. There's no redo. There's no undo. You can't go backwards. You can only confront them. The problems in our life, you can only work through the problems, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is problems because the truth is a large part of our life, Christian or otherwise, a large part of our life is spent stressing over working through or uh, dealing with anxiety over problems. And the reason this is important to talk about, uh, especially as Christians, especially this morning, is because as Christians, Christianity and, and Scripture have much to talk about problems. We have the, 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 it, and how Christianity and Scripture deals with problems is unique from all other uh, people on the earth. And I should say that right from the beginning, what I'm not going to be talking about this morning, dealing with problems, is that if you're just a good Christian, if you have enough faith that God is just going to make it so that you have no problems in your life. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. If you have enough faith, uh, you just love God enough, you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. No, 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 no. The truth is this morning that whether you're a Christian or you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus at all, we are all going to deal with problems, regardless of who you are. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 45. He says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the good and the evil. Regardless of who you are, problems are a part of life. The difference, the difference is how a Christian confronts and processes problems is different and radically unique from not just all other religions, but from all other people on earth. How we engage and uh, confront problems is unique from all other people on earth. And you see this dynamic played out in the life of Job. You see this playing out in real time. His story is a story of great loss, of great pain, of many, many problems. His story is a story about problems. So let's look at how he deals with it. Look at verse number 20 and 21. Then Job arose, this is where he picked up, uh, this is where he left off. Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, worshipped, saying, Naked came I out of, my, out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, everything bad that happened, that could happen to a human, happened to Job. 
You think of any bad thing that could happen to a person, it all happened to Job. In the, in, here's, the th- here's the kicker. It all happened in the matter of one day. And probably in the matter of an hour, the space of an hour, that all this stuff is just going sideways for Job. Everything in his life is gone in the matter of moments. Everything that happened to Job was entirely out of his control. He had no control over any of it. In the matter of moments, he loses all of his children, his 10 kids. In a matter of moments, he loses all of his livestock, all of his camels, all of his sheep, all of his donkeys, all of his houses, all of his wealth, all of his business, all of his servants. Eventually, he even loses his own wife. His wife walks out on him, and eventually, he even loses his own health. He loses everything. You talk about a guy that has a bad Monday morning. This is a bad Monday morning. Our bad Monday mornings is when we walk to the cabinet and we see that all the coffee grounds are gone. That's a bad Monday morning for us. This guy had a bad Monday morning. You can't get a worse day than Job had that day. Our bad days are nothing compared to this bad day. So why don't we just clear that up? This guy had the worst day. I think we can all agree this guy had the worst day that anybody could ever have. Okay, we have a bad day. We, we, you know, we run out of coffee or whatever. We, we post it on Instagram. We post it on Facebook. Hashtag Monday mood. We're just bad, but we're bummed out. We, have, we ran out of whatever. So this guy had it much worse. This guy had it really bad. Talk about a series of unfortunate events. This guy had a, a series of unfortunate events. And the response is the kicker. The response is what gets me. Because you would think a guy who's going through all this, you would think that the first reaction he would have would be to shake his fist at God and say, I can't believe what you've done. I can't believe what you've allowed to happen. I can't believe that all of this stuff is happening to me. Why, 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 God, why? Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person, blah, blah, blah. You think that would be his response, right? But that's not his response. You see in verse number 20 and 21, his response is, well, really three things. The One of them, only one of them is important. Number one is that he, that his first response is to, to, to rent his clothes. He, he ripped his clothes. Admittedly, that's not a very normal thing to do. Then he shaved his head. Again, not very normal. The third thing he does is what's remarkable. The third thing he does, after all this has happened, he loses his family, loses everything. He worships God. He worships God. Did you believe this guy? He loses his family. He loses his 10 children. He's going to lose his wife. He's going to lose, he's already lost his business. Everything he's lost. And yet he worships God. What a remarkable thing. What is the point this morning? To worship at your worst. When you are at your worst, worship God. When you're at the worst part of your life, the lowest problem, make worship your first response. When you don't know what to do, worship. When you don't know where to turn, worship. When you don't know where to go, worship. When you don't know how it's going to work out, worship God. When you can't change your problem, change your perspective in worship. When you can't change your problem, change your perspective. You ever been in the city before, say LA, San Diego, someplace where there's tall skyscrapers? You ever been to a crowded city before? We, me and my wife, every once in a while, we try not to go to LA, but every once in a while we go to LA and we're walking through the streets of LA and it's just, it's the worst, right? Walking through LA, unless you're about to go to a restaurant, it's, it's, it, you, you don't enjoy going through LA. Because you have these crowded streets. You guys know what I'm talking about. You have the crowded streets. It smells bad all the time. All the people are rude. They're shoving you or they're looking at you sideways. And everything's, it's, the city's no fun. It's congested. It's just, it's, when you come over here, Marietta, it's like a different country almost, right? It's just like different. You, you're in the city and it's just, it's just horrible. One day, I was feeling like that because I was in the city. 
But we were going to go up into we were going to go up into one of the buildings. I think it was I think it was our anniversary. We were gonna, I was, we were going to go out to eat. We we're going to go eat on 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 top of one of these buildings. Really cool. And so we're we're in the city beforehand. We're walking around. It's just it's it's miserable, right? It's just miserable walking around. And it's just all people are mean. Everything's congested. Everything's just confusing. And so we we go up into the building. We go up to the top, and we go up to the top. We look out over the building to see where we just were. And you know what it looks like? It looks amazing. The city from, from right up there, you're like, wow, this is a beautiful city. This is just, look at this view, look at the landscape, look at the, the cityscape, look at all the people walking around, they look so nice from up here, and little did we, you know, I mean, you come down there, you know that the city didn't change, but between the space of us being down here and being up here, nothing changed in the city. The people didn't get any nicer, the smell didn't get, it didn't change the Febreze scent after a couple minutes, everything was just as bad. You know what changed? Not the city, our perspective of the city. You know what God says needs to change? You want to know what to do when you are at your worst? Change your perspective. When you're at your worst, worship. When you're tired of looking around you and seeing all the problems and seeing all the things in your life, when you're tired of looking around, look up. Worship at your worst. Worship changes your perspective. Worship at your worst, not because it will change your circumstance, but because it will change you. You see, when you worship God, that doesn't mean your, your, your problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean all your situations are going to somehow magically clear up. It means that your perspective of those things will change. You see this in Colossians chapter 3. If you then be risen with Christ, if you're a believer this morning, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. If you're wondering why all the, everything looks so bad in life, wondering why you're going through all these problems, maybe you need to change your perspective of all of those things. When it does you no good to look around, look up. Our hope is not in our ability to figure out a problem. Our hope is not in a doctor or a diagnosis. Our hope is not in money. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is that regardless of the problem or the circumstance, God knows what's going on and he's got it all worked out. All I need to do is focus my attention on him. Focus on a heavenly perspective. When you can't change what's happening to you or what's going on around you, change you. When you can't change what's going on around you, change you. You know, there's the story of this man called Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a guy who lived during World War II. He was a Jewish man living in Germany during World War II. And the, the, the authorities found out that Viktor was a Jewish man, and so they locked him up. They put him in a concentration camp. Him, his father, his mother, and his wife. And Viktor Frankl, when he was in these concentration camps, he was separated from his wife uh, and his mother. His dad was with him. His dad eventually died in the concentration camps from exhaustion. He found out later on, he didn't know it until he was out of the camps, but his wife died a couple weeks into being in the concentration camps. His mother died as well. When he got out of the concentration camps, you would think a guy like this, you'd think that most people, when they come out, it would just, they would just, they'd be broken people. When he comes out, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. One of the best books that you can read. And this is what he said. A man who lived through concentration camps. A man who lived through World War II. This is what he said in his book. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing. Your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. 
When Jesus was being beaten, when Jesus was being mocked, when he was being ridiculed, when he was being nailed on a cross, he wasn't filled with anger. He wasn't filled with resentment. He wasn't filled with bitterness. He wasn't filled with anxiety. In fact, he was the only one not filled with all of those things. When he was dying on the cross, he had a different perspective. How was he able to go through all of that? Because he had a different perspective. He was, he was looking at the Father. He was looking at what he was doing. He saw the joy that was set before him, the joy of enduring the cross for all of us. He had a heavenly perspective. When he was at his worst, he was worshiping. When you worship, you change your perspective. And when your perspective changes, you change with it. You see, worship was Job's first response after all of these things happened to him. But I want to show you, I want to show you something encouraging. Look at verse number 9 and 10, verse, uh, chapter 1. Verse number 9 and 10. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him? Isn't that interesting? And about his house and about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance has increased in the land. So the Bible tells us Satan wanted to make Job turn his back on God. And to do this, he would have to take everything from him. But he had to get one thing from God first. Job is about to go through one of the most horrible things that any human being could ever go through, but one thing has to happen first before any of these bad things can happen. He has to get approval from God. Satan has to get the approval from God before he can do anything to Job. Before he can touch Job, he has to get God's okay. He has to get uh, the, the approval from God before any of that can happen, before any harm could be done to Job, before any actions could be taken against him. It had to be allowed and filtered through God first. Everything Job was about to go through had to go through God first. And this is an encouraging principle for today. Before your problems go through you, they go through God. Before your problems go through you, they go through God first. Everything you go through goes through God first. You ever been through airport security before and you're, you're about to take a flight? You ever been through airport security? Did you go into TSA checks and all that? Did you guys awake with me? Has anybody been on airport security before? You guys look tired. You guys had an extra hour of sleep. Airport security, it's a horrible experience. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, okay? You're going through, and I just, the, the last time that me and my wife flew, it was a horrible experience for me uh, because, so me and my wife, we, we, the last time we flew, we were in the airport and we're trying to get everything checked through and we're showing them all of our ID and you can show them your passport and all of that and we're trying to get all of our bags through and uh, the lady asked us before we, we I put my, my big bag on, the, uh, on, the, on the, little, the little thing that goes through the scanner, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? I put my big bag on there and she asked me, do you have any uh, liquids in here? Do you have any, any, uh, any, any shampoo, any products in there? I say, I say no. I say no. Little do I know that my wife actually put all of the, the, the stuff in, in, my back, in my backpack. And so it goes through and, uh, and I noticed that uh, not one, not one thing, not just my bag, but also all of my computer stuff. Because you know how you take out your computer stuff? They said, okay, we have a random check of that. And then also they had to check my bag because they noticed that there's actually, in fact, liquids in there. And so they have all my bags, and I have to go to the lady, and she's checking all my stuff, digs out through all my stuff that I had just thrown in there, and I thought was, you know, neat. she had to put all of it back in. I'm there, and just, it was a horrible experience because, you know, you're running out of time. You're always stressed out when you're in the airport, so we get all that done. You're okay. And you know how when you're about to, you're, and I thought I was free and clear. I thought I was free and clear until we got on the plane. That'd be great. You know how they check your boarding pass right before you get on the plane? You know, right before you're about to walk down the little, the little walkway and get onto the plane, they check your boarding pass, they scan it, go, and they say, okay, you can go. I get there. I show my passport and my boarding pass, and, and they, they, they scan my little boarding pass, and it goes, Wee! and it turns red. I was like, 
How could somebody, no one's ever been, no one's ever been turned aside right here, right next to the plane. They said, sir, you need, to, you need to stand over there. I was like, oh, what did I do? I thought for sure, I thought, man, maybe my, wife, my wife's getting sick of me, and finally she's, she's going to try to get rid of me, you know, and she's leaving me. Here's, the, here's our devious plan, how to do it. And so they walk around, they say, what, 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 you know, they ask me a series of questions, and finally they, they scan it through. I mean, you're at this airport security, they check everything. You know what God does before a problem hits you? You know what God does before a problem is allowed into your life? He checks all of it. He scans it. He, he pieces through all of the problems that are about to come through into your life. And all those problems, all those difficulties, all those situations, all those things that you don't like, all the things that you wish weren't, all of those things are funneled and filtered through Jesus first. All those things go through God first so that you don't have to worry. If there is a problem in your life, you can be sure that God knows about it. He's, he's combed through all of it. He's scanned it. He's searched through all of it. If there is a problem in your life this morning, it hasn't gone unnoticed from God. He knows about all of it. He sees it. Preachers used to say that everything is father-filtered. Everything is filtered through our Heavenly Father. That's a true statement. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Watch this. Declaring the end of a thing from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Pleasure. You, before you were born, the problems that you are currently going through, God already saw those problems. You know what we call future, he already calls history. What we see as shifting, he sees as settled. The things and the problems and the things that we don't like, the transitions and all the things that arise in our life, God's aware of all those things. Before we were ever even born, back when Jesus was living on earth, he saw the problems that you are now going through. He was aware of all of them. He declared the end from the beginning. Things that are out of your control are not out of God's care. That's what this story is telling us today. Now look at what Job says to his wife in Job chapter 2, verse number 10. His wife confronts him. He's about to, his wife's about to walk out on him. Verse number 9 and 10. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not, uh, Job did not sin with his lips. So after Job has lost everything, his wife who he'd eventually, who'd eventually leave him. Job wanted to know, oh, Job's wife wanted to know, why haven't you left? Why haven't you given up? Why do you still retain your integrity? After all, God allowed this to happen, right? This would be the thinking that his wife is having. God allowed this to happen. How come you still are staying faithful to God? How come you still are trusting in your God? This is the question we all have. How could a good God allow all this? How could a good God allow a problem like this to happen? At first, when I was preparing this message and in reading through this story, it seemed to me like Job and his family had become the cosmic plaything of, of God and Satan, right? When you read this story, it seems like God and Satan, they have this feud, they have this battle almost of words in a conversation. And it, it seems like Job and his family, they're caught in the middle. Like they're the cosmic plaything of, of, of God trying to prove to Satan that uh, Job is a good guy and Satan trying to prove to God that Job is not a good guy and in fact would curse his name. And so it's kind of, and when you first read through it, you're like, why would a good God allow this to happen to an innocent man? It seemed cruel to me that God would allow Satan to do such horrible things to Job just to prove to Satan that Job was in fact a good servant of God until I realized something. 
till I realized that God isn't trying to tell us a story about his strength alone in this. He's trying to tell us a story about the strength that he put in Job. Job is the story of one man's triumph over all the forces of evil. When it seemed like he was utterly alone in his life, when it seemed like he had lost completely everything in his life, he would not break. Loss could not break him. Illness could not break him. Financial ruin could not break him. His friends could not break him. His own spouse could not break him. Satan himself could not break Job. Even when it seemed like God had abandoned Job, Job would not break. When it seemed like everything was going wrong in his life and everything was against him, Job would not break under the pressure. How many of you guys have ever had a jawbreaker before? The candy, the jawbreaker. Some of you guys had a jawbreaker. Maybe when you were a kid, you had a jawbreaker. I remember jawbreakers. My, my wife was talking about jawbreakers the other day. And jawbreakers are just great, right? And you, I remember going to the, the, the candy store, trying to get the biggest jawbreaker my parents would let me get. And I would just, it would be great, right? You'd go home and you'd lick it for hours, right? And you'd still only, I mean, you got the whole thing left. And finally, as a kid, you get bored real quick and you want to just, you want to break the thing. You don't know why. Maybe it's just guys, maybe little boys, they just want to break the thing. And so you start throwing it. You want to just crack the jawbreaker. But no matter how hard you bite down, no matter how hard you throw it against the wall, if it's a big one, they just won't break no matter what you do to them. If I was smart and I had a pair of vice grips, I would have put vice grips on them or a C-clamp. That would have been a great idea. Somebody should do that. But we didn't have that kind of stuff back then, namely because we weren't that smart. And so we tried throwing it against the wall. You tried throwing it at your brother. You tried throwing it at your sister. You tried throwing it at the window, the cat, the dog. Whatever you can do, try to break the jawbreaker. The jawbreaker doesn't break. No matter what you do to it, it does not break. The enemy will try to break you. And you will be tempted to break as Job was tempted. But God has put a strength in you that is unbreakable. If God is in you, if you're a child of God, there is a strength inside of you that's unbreakable. There is a strength inside of you that cannot be broken. God hasn't left you. He lives in you. And if he lives in you, whatever is trying to break you will not be able to. If he is in you and his strength is in you, you cannot be broken. You see this in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 4. Ye are of God, little children. You're of God. If you're a child of God, you've overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The The world may try to break you. Problems might try to break you. Problems might try to derail your life, but they cannot do it. Whenever there is a problem in your life that is out of your control, you will always be tempted as Job's uh, Job's wife tempted him in verse number 9. This is how all of us are always going to be tempted. Verse number 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain that integrity? Curse God and die. These two temptations we will always face when when we encounter problems. When we are confronted with problems, these two temptations will always face us. Sometimes one more than the other. She says, curse God and die. Blame God, give up. Curse God and die. Give up. Blame God. God, how could you allow this to happen? If you were really a good God, you would not allow this bill, this unexpected thing. You would not allow this financial problem. You would not allow this marriage problem. You would not allow this thing in my life. You would not allow this diagnosis. If you were a true good God, you would not allow this to happen. We blame God or we give up. We say, it's just not worth it anymore. My marriage isn't worth it. My job isn't worth it. My stuff isn't worth it. God isn't worth it. The church isn't worth it. We blame God or we give up. That's the temptation. In both of those temptations, Job said, I will not break. I will not. That's ought, that ought to be. When we're going through it, that's the temptation. But Job didn't give in to that temptation for the same reason we don't. 
For as loud and as strong as the temptation is, it is not stronger than the one who is in you. I don't care what the problem is. The one who is in you is stronger than the thing that's coming against you. Look at this, verse number 8. Job chapter 23. So after all this bad stuff happens to Job, all this bad stuff happens to Job, Job sits down. He has boils all over his flesh. You can read the story. He has boils all over his flesh. He's been afflicted with a disease. And he's sitting down, and he's scraping these boils off of his body. He has nothing left. He doesn't even have his health. Except he has a couple of his buddies. And they turn out to be kind of like jerks. They aren't really that great of guys. But they sit down, and they talk to him. They have a conversation. And most of Job, most of the book of Job, is the conversation that Job has with his, with his buddies. Look at this, verse number 8. And this is what he says to his buddies. Behold, I go forward, but he, God, he's talking about God, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him, God. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. I can't see him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He told them he didn't know what God was doing. When he moves forward, he can't see the path of God. He doesn't know what God is trying to communicate to him. When he goes backward, he looks and he looks at the back of his life. He he looks back on his life. He sees hindsight. He says, I can't see the the logic behind it. I can't see what God is trying to do. He looks to his left. He can't perceive that God is even there. He looks to his right. He doesn't doesn't see God anywhere in his life. He looks all around his life. He can't see the path. He can't see what God is trying to do. None of it makes sense. He can't figure out why. Why God is doing what he is doing in his life. But he responds by saying, I will trust him anyway. Regardless of whether I can see the plan of God or not, I will trust God. I will trust that even though I can't see the path, even though I can't make sense of what he's doing, I will trust him anyway. Trust God even when your questions go unanswered. Even when there are questions in your life, even when you cannot see the path of God, trust him anyway. And this is going to be life. You will not always be able to see what God's trying to do in your life. That's just the fact. You're not going to be able to see sometimes what his, you're not going to be able to make sense of it. Trust God anyway. God is going to have questions. You're going to have questions in your life that God will not answer. Trust him anyway. Trust him in those times. This is so, this is so important for us. Trust God even when your questions go unanswered. I want to let you guys in on a, on a guilty pleasure of mine. You guys go, pastor's guilty pleasure. My guilty pleasure is sometimes I like to watch Bob Ross paintings. You guys ever seen Bob Ross paintings? I have a picture of Bob Ross paintings. You can clap for Bob Ross. Bob Ross is great. This guy is great. I love Bob Ross paintings. And uh, I remember one Sunday afternoon, I really wanted to watch Bob Ross. And I was like, man, I just, I just love Bob Ross. Just great paintings, so relaxing. And the way he talks, he's like, it's your world. You can do whatever you want. And his hair, is he's just a funny guy. And so my wife, she would rather watch paint dry, which ironically is what we're doing. And so we're watching Bob Ross. And you know when I started watching him, I thought, because he, he, he would start off, he didn't start with all this, right? He starts with a blank canvas, and he gets like some dark color or some really bright color, and he chooses this color, and I'm like, when I first started watching, I'm like, why is he picking this color? This is just an ugly color. This guy isn't, he's from the 70s. Just, people aren't like that. And he starts brushing it, and I can't tell, I say, well, he's brushing too hard. He's brushing too hard, or his strokes are too long. Why is he doing this? And eventually, even though you can't really see what he's trying to do, eventually, halfway through, you're like, Okay, 
Okay, okay, Bob, I see what you're doing here. I see that there's starting to, there's starting to be some life here. But for most of it, you just, or he'll get like this really nice background of these mountains. And then he's like, well, you know what? Let's just put some, let's put some trees into it. And he starts dabbing all of this ugly green or all this ugly like dark forest green on here. And you're like, oh, you're, you're, you're just ruining the picture, man. You're just ruining the picture. And so my wife is asleep, but I'm actually engaged yelling at the TV. You know, what are you doing? So I can't figure out where he's going with all of this. In a Eventually, when you get towards the finish, you see, you see where he's going with. You know what I've learned, though? When I don't know where he's going with the picture, I don't need to know. All I need to do is trust that he has the picture in his mind, and it's going to look good in the finish. You know, when you have those questions that go unanswered, they may never go answered. God may never answer those problems. You know what he says? You know what he wants us to do? Trust him anyway. Trust him anyway. When the questions go unanswered in your life, when you can't make sense of the picture he's painting in your life, just trust him. You're not always going to be able to make sense of it. Most of the time we can't. Trust him anyway. Trust God when the questions go unanswered. You may never have the answer. You may never know why God allowed that thing. You may never know why you dealt with that hardship or struggle. You may never know why you had that diagnosis. You may never know why you had that job loss or that layoff. But that's not the point. You can trust God even when your questions go unanswered, and that is the point. The old preachers also used to say this. They say, when you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. When you can't see what God is doing, you're like, trust the heart of God. God knew all along why everything was happening to Job, but Job goes, get this, Job goes his entire life, never knows why God did what he did. Because it's entirely, you read the story. God never gives him an explanation. God never says, well, I had this conversation with Satan the other day, and we had this bet going, and we had this thing going, and it was kind of to see if you would break or not. He never tells Job that. You get to the end of the story, God never gives any explanation. He even tells Job, I don't need to give you an explanation. He goes his entire life without giving Job an explanation. Job never knows, and yet Job trusts God. God knew all along why everything was happening to Job. Job goes his entire life never knowing the purpose of his trial. He never knows the why behind everything he went through. And often we won't trust God until we understand what he's doing. But the Christian life is not about knowing what God is doing. It's simply about knowing God. And when we know God, when, we are, when, when, our, when our perspective has changed to focus on Jesus Christ, that will become enough for us. Those, those, those questions won't be answered, but we'll know God. You may not have the master plan, but you will always have the master's presence. He will always be with you. Here's what we want to know from God. Here's, this is the question we all want to know from God. Is everything going to be okay, Right? That's what we want to know. When we're going through a problem, when we're going through a transition, when we're going through a tough time, when it's, it's, it's just, God, just, just tell me. You don't have to tell me. Just give me a yes or no answer. Is everything going to be okay? Is everything going to be okay? And there's two answers to that. The first one is, not always. Not always. It's not always going to be okay. You're going to have a problem come up in your life, and there's going to be a bad outcome. It's not always going to be okay. You're going to go through, you're going to have a, a sickness, you're going to have a situation, and it's not always going to be okay. That's just, that's just unfortunately, even though, you see, God will be with you every step of the way, but some steps are going to be hard. You'll be thrown into the fire sometimes. Yes, God will be with you in that fire, but sometimes you'll be in the fire. That's the first answer. Not always will it be okay. The second answer is, not always, but one day. Not always, but one day. 
One day everything is going to be okay. One day God will make all things right. One day God will make all things new. You see this, and you guys should memorize this. Revelation chapter 21, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. What I can tell you this morning is that one day God will make all things right. One day God will make all things true. One day God will wipe away the sorrow. One day God will wipe away all the tears. One day God will wipe away all the injustice, all the brokenness, all the sin, all the pain, all the hurt, all the bitterness, all the resentment, all of these things in your life that you consider problems. One day God will wipe all of those things away. He will make all things new and he will make all things right. That is the great hope of the Christian life is that one day regardless of what is going on right now, one day God's going to make all of it right. That is our hope. That's what we can hold on to. That's what we can hold in our heart. That one day we have this hope in Jesus Christ. You have hope today in Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, I told you about the, uh, the Etch-A-Sketch. You can't go back once you get the Etch-A-Sketch. I brought one with me this morning. You know, the Etch-A-Sketch, you have all these lines and you have all these mess-ups. You have all the redos. I don't know if you can see it from here, but I have this, these ugly lines on here. I don't know what it is. Kind of looks like the state of, Cal- of Texas, actually, or California. But you have all these lines, and you can't go backwards. You can't redo. You can't reuse. You can't mulligan. You can't, you can't retry. You can't redo. You can't undo. There's nothing you can do. Once it's done, it's done. But one day, you know what God's going to do? One day, he's going to make it all new. One day, regardless of the problems in your life, Regardless of the messes that are in your life, regardless of the things that you didn't like, regardless of the things that went wrong, regardless of the answers that you never had, the questions you never had answered, God will answer all those questions. God will make all things new. The problems, the pain, all the hurts, all the things you went through, one day God will wipe all of it away. One day he'll make it all right and it will be okay. That's the hope we have in Christian. That's what the hope we have as Christians, the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That's the hope we can hold on to this morning. That's the hope that Job had. The heartache, the pain, the trial. One day God will make it new. One day God will make it right. Hold on to that, that truth. Trust him with that truth.